This is the Spirited Talk podcast. Conversations and much more about connecting with our friends and lost ones in the spirit world. And now, here's your host, Trevor. My guest today brings a new aspect to our work with the spirit world. She's a lady with northern roots who commands huge respect for her work with spirit. But who am I talking about? Well, stay around and find out. For many years, I've been involved with the work of communicating with the spirit world. The Spirited Talk series of podcasts are part of my way of not just continuing to educate myself, but to share that knowledge and wisdom with you, the listener. My guests are specifically selected for the time-served experience in this incredible subject. By hearing their stories and their experiences, together we can expand our own knowledge and realise that we too can connect with the spirit within us. Before I introduce today's guest, take a moment to subscribe to this podcast on the platform you're listening to it on now. And you can find out more about these series on our website, spiritedtalkpodcast.com. Now, let me tell you a bit about today's guest. My guest today is a lady who knows a thing or two about the work with spirit. After spending a great part of her life in this work, she firmly believes in the importance of education. She is a qualified tutor at the world-famous Arthur Finlay College and has worked with thousands of students across the world. But my guest has much more to offer than just that. Today, my guest will share her story and tell us about a few of her other passions with her work with spirit. My guest uses many faculties to connect with the spirit world and believes in creative and experimental mediumship. Though I have to confess that I was very nervous when I first met my guest many years ago, I'm sure I'll learn more about her softer side today. Ladies and gentlemen, my very special guest is Miss Maureen Mernon. CSNU. And a very good morning to you, uh, Maureen. It's nice and early this morning. How are you doing? I'm absolutely fine, Trevor, and it's lovely to finally get to have this little talk with you. Well, I should explain to the listener that, yeah, finally, because we've been trying to get it together for some weeks now with uh, heavy schedules, etc. That actually makes me want to ask you a question, Maureen. You've been very, very busy during lockdown, haven't you? I've been busy mostly, to be honest with you, Trevor, with family things, because as you know, my husband was very ill at the end of last year and beginning of this year, and he finally passed passed away in May this year, uh, but only eight months before that, I also lost my sister. So, and then I've been doing some online work, some, and really some kind of personal work of getting myself together, getting back into my own space and and looking at new beginnings, ways of starting things new. The COVID lockdown has actually benefited in some ways spiritually. Well, I would I would have to agree with you in so much as it's helped people to kind of stop, to get off that fast merry-go-round of just, you know, going from nine till five and just do, 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 do. We've had to stop. And we've been able to take more time and nature has definitely shown us the benefits of us doing that, not moving around so much, becoming more aware of what we actually have, what we can do and what is around us. The world does not stop because we can't go rushing off somewhere and nature does not stop because Mm. we can't go rushing off somewhere. I am sort of excited about today's interview. I think I said that just before we started. 
I'm excited, but at the same time, I got this off balance of nerves because, Maureen, you have a reputation. Oh, my goodness. Maybe not amongst your peers, but certainly amongst the students. They know you're a no-nonsense, lovely lady, but you tell it as it is, and it's straight. In fact, I had counselling off Lynn Cottrell before I did this interview. She told me, don't worry, she's nice, you'll like her. So that's a myth. I hope you'll blow away from me today. Thank you. I promise you, I really do not bite. Well, it is a real pleasure to be given this opportunity today, Maureen, to speak with you. And I know you're staying on. You're actually going to be recording a podcast for us. We're going to start by telling our listeners whereabouts you are speaking to us from today. Well, today, Trevor, I'm speaking from my home in Cornwall. Slightly closer, Truro, Penzance? Padstow. Rick Stein country. Oh, what a beautiful place. But that's not actually where you're from, is it really? No, it isn't. I originate from Lancashire, from Lee. Yes, about five miles away from me at, at the moment, or the home of Andy Burnham, for those of you who are really excited. What is your title and what qualifications have you actually achieved in your life? From the Spiritualist National Union, I have a CSNU certificate. I have um, passed six of the C courses that they used to do going back. I mean, I've been going to the college a long time. So when I was a student at the college and taking these courses, I did the C20, C24, C1, 2, 3 and 4 etc. So I have about six courses from the C, uh, from the Spiritualist National Union. But uh, privately, I've also got two diplomas in colour therapy. I've got a shamanic diploma. I've got a diploma in mindfulness, a diploma in shadow work. So I'm at the moment doing one on NLP techniques, because I'm very interested in the mind and how the mind works, which is quite appropriate because we're dealing with mental mediumship. So, you know, it's good to know the mind. Well, that also gives me an idea of your um, belief and state of education. So you you certainly believe in, in gaining a decent education for yourself. I've also got a diploma in animal communication, and I'm currently doing my second one on animal communication because that goes in so nicely with my shamanic work. Yes, and uh, thank you for mentioning that shamanic a, your shamanic work is something that we're going to be looking at from basics in your pod class. And I'm looking forward to that because, well, I think there's a bit of shamanism in all of us. I don't think it would Absolutely. be. I don't think it would be natural. Right. Let's get on to the story then, uh, Maureen. You've told us where you were born, which was Lee in Lancashire or Greater Manchester as it is these days. What's a, tell us, um, spend a few minutes telling us about your family, how many brothers and sisters you had, your mum and dad, etc. Start okay. us as early as you can recall. Okay. Well, um, as I said, as I've already said, I was born in just a, a little, and you know, Lee, it's a little town, a little old mill and mining town, not you know, anything uh, exotic about it whatsoever. But when I was born in September, my mum and dad had already lost one child. So I really was the second baby, but the first child because she lost the first one. My mother, I have to say, became over the years my hero because though she had a second child, she had my younger sister. My father wasn't in our lives a great deal. They were sort of separated, then back together for a short while separated. Unfortunately, he was not 
a good role model as a father. He was quite a violent man. He used to drink heavy, didn't like to work. And so we had to move around quite a lot during those first seven years of my life. So mum, my mum brought myself and my sister up really by herself. Because in those days, it was just sort of a national assistance help that she used to get. My father never contributed anything to our upbringing. So it was quite a basic living. And I remember when I was seven was the first time mum got a house, a council house, was in her name. And that meant that we didn't ever have to move again, which was brilliant because I grew really up. That's where I grew up in a little street called Kingsley Street in Lee. And that is actually where I got married from. So from the age of seven up to getting married at 19, that's the only time I had permanency. But I realised how difficult it must have been for my mother to do that all by herself. So she kind of became my hero. I I bet she looked after you, you know, with the dresses and, and... She had to mend and make do. And very often we would have hand downs because she didn't have the money. But she was very good at sewing and knitting and alterations. So, you know, she always kept us immaculate. She kept the house immaculate. We may not have had a lot, but what we had was ours. And it was, you know, spotless. That was mum's way, I think, of getting through. And Maureen, what were your interests up until, the say, the age of 10, 11, 11 years old? Well, I think mostly um, I would have never have called myself an educated person, but I was interested in lots of things. I've always been a very hands-on person, even as a child, not necessarily someone who will study books, But give me something to do with my hands and I learn quickly. If I can do it and experience it, I've got it. I can grab it. So when I was a child, I really was just most interested in being outdoors. I hated to be shut indoors. All I wanted to do was to play out on the fields near my grandma's, climbing trees at the bottom of my grandma's garden, walk around the lake and have adventures. Lots of us used to make dig outs on the fields at the back and the boys would cover it with corrugated iron and then put grass sods on top. Being outside was what I lived for. As soon as I woke in the morning and I was dressed and breakfast, school holidays, I was outside. That's interesting because uh, the next two questions, which are kind of similar, I think I know the answers. I think our listeners know the answer to this. First question was, were you an indoors girl or an outdoors girl? I think you've just answered that one very well. And the next one, I think we can guess the answer to that. Were you all about pretty dresses or jeans and T-shirts? Definitely not the pretty dresses. We never really had the pretty dresses, though we did like dressing up. You know, when you borrow your mum's clothes and her eye heels and you experiment with some makeup. Just when we were play acting as as a group of cousins together. Uh, and we used to do little song shows, you know, where we'd put together a little act, a little show and do songs for the for the adults, you know. Mm. Um, and we love doing things like that. I, I still do. But Jane, she keeps yeah. telling me off. She says, get that off. But- yeah, the dressing up bit. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I love this question. Were you a compliant child or were you a bit of a maverick? I would definitely say a maverick. I was always in trouble. 
always had to be undoing things to see how it worked and where it fitted and experimenting with things, doing everything but what I was told to do. So I was always in trouble and often described by my grandmother as the black sheep of the family. Yeah, and of course there is this this culture thing with the north of England. The ladies tend to rule the family, tend to, don't they? The ladies are stronger. Absolutely, especially with my grandmother. She was a very strong personality of a woman. She was like the queen bee in a hive of bees. The family... You know, generated around her, and um, she was an Irish Catholic with very strong views on things. So, you know, she really was the head of the family. So, you've got Irish in your blood? Absolutely, lots of Irish. My grandmother and my grandfather were Irish. Oh, that's wonderful. North or Republic? Well, my grandmother was from County Mayo and my grandfather was Northern Ireland. He was more around, you know, the central part of Northern Ireland. My, my grandmother often described him as an orange man. I don't know what that meant or if he was, but... Which of your parents or grandparents do you think was your favourite or was closest to you? My granddad. I loved my granddad because he was such a fair and gentle man. He, he treated every one of us the same. My grandmother had favourites among all the grandchildren, but my granddad treated every one of us the same. And I just, I just loved him and his little pearls of wisdom that he sometimes used to come out with. You know, he, he used to sit me down as a child and he would say, it doesn't matter what you do in this life, but whatever it is, do it well. Did you mind me asking his first name? His name was William or Bill. Oh, right. To- okay. Then I can cut that bit out. Uh, that won't be used because while I was writing the script, I had the name Felix come into my head. So that's really? what, yeah. So that's why I put who was Felix in red on the script. Well, the strange thing is, my mother had a cat called Felix. Yeah, well, there's the name Felix in the family anyway. Was religion generally something that was present in your family? I mean, was your mother a churchgoer and were your grandparents churchgoers? I would say religion, uh, Catholicism was quite strong because remember, as Irish Catholics, they, you know, the priest is, you know, the representative of God. And we were made, the grandchildren were made to go to church every Sunday. I went to a Roman Catholic school, both in junior and in senior school. But my grandmother and my mother didn't necessarily go to church themselves. They just made us go. And of course, if the priest visited or a nun visited the house, you know, we had to be on best behaviour, you know, or else. So there was this respect for... Yes, yes. My grandmother loved, um, she loved statues. She had holy pictures and statues all around the house, particularly of Virgin Mary, you know, the Holy Mother. She uh, she prayed a lot to that. So, What was um, your mum's early approach to you regarding your education at school? Was she tough with you? I wouldn't say she was tough. She was encouraging because mum never considered herself to have had a great education herself. All she wanted was for us to do better, for me and my sister to have good jobs or do well in life. So Education in that, you know, she was interested in all of our schoolwork, our homework. She would do little games with us like spelling or 
talking, you know, standing up and telling stories and things like that, but um, not really as an inactive. And I was never a sporty person, so. Do you remember a book from that period? Yes, my favourite, and I and my mother had a statue that represented it, was Black Beauty. And Shelley. I loved that book. And she used to have a, a, she had a statue of a black horse. And because I didn't have an animal, I didn't have a horse, I had any access to a horse. That statue became one of my favourites. It was more of a female book, but that said, I remember that being in the house and reading it myself, although my reading skills weren't brilliant. What was your most treasured possession, do you think, up to your teen years? Well, certainly going up to teen years, I didn't have a great deal in earlier life but in teens I was given or bought uh, for my birthday you know one of those small portable record players Deckers yeah those little ones you fold up and it was like a little attachy case remember once I got that I absolutely adored it oh don't tell me you were a Beatles fan as well I was mm-hmm. Beatles Elvis the Rolling Stones all that era yes my my partner keeps saying that up in her mother's attic is a Decca record player and there's a box of Beatles records up there but because nobody's been in the attic for about 40 50 years nobody's got the nerve including me to open the door and have a look it's worth a fortune Trevor uh, yeah I know but spiders they're frightening things so let's move on to those teen years what senior school did you go to I went to um, St Mary's uh, Roman Catholic School for Girls at Astley. Yeah, they used to have the girls inside, and then the outside was the boys. So they kept they kept us segregated. I believe they're the intermingle now, but in those days we were separated. And w- were you finding anything you particularly liked at school? Yes, um, I got I actually it was at that school that I actually got more interested in education and learning actually there. And my ambition was I wanted to be to become a qualified nurse. So I, I actually stayed on a little bit longer on school than I needed to because and I actually and I did get a place at Townley's at Bolton where I could go into a teaching school. But then my aunt persuaded my mother that I should leave school and get a job because I was old enough to contribute and help with, you know, the family running costs, which is what I ended up having to do. Did you like school? Were you a study type, a reader, a writer, or a thinker? I loved it. I loved school. I loved my friends. I loved. I thought we had some great teachers. Absolutely loved it. And I think also, on a, from an emotional point of view, it might have been well. Perhaps some people would think not so good because I was not brought up with males around me. My father wasn't in my life. I didn't have any brothers. It was just three women in the house all the time, really, together. So when we went to St. Mary's school, it was all girls. So I didn't have the pressure of males, boys around me. Um, And I think that made it make me feel easier, you know. Why were you shy? I think I was shy where interaction with males were concerned. I always remember thinking as a child that I would never get married. And uh, and that all turned out to be false. Of course, I got married very, very young. But I think that school, my senior school was the changing, the pivotal changing point for me where I realised I could do things and I could do it well. And I was quite popular at school. I had some really good um, sort of... A group of friends there at school and 
So I really enjoyed senior school. Didn't really want it to end. Uh, But it would be fair to say from the information you've given us that your father actually affected your life in some ways. Very much so, yes. Very much so. I would say my father... He taught me, and, and I've learned more about it since I've been into shadow work and um, shamanism. He put me on that pathway of mistrusting where males were concerned, of fearfulness, of not having stability, because, you know, we just didn't know what kind of mood he would enter the house with. You know, I, I have memories going back to about five or six and um, hiding in a cupboard with my mother one night because he'd been out drinking and we knew he was coming home. She knew he would be in a temper. And we hid without coats on in a cupboard under the stairs. And then we, once he'd come in and staggered up to bed, we ran out the house and walked over fields to get to my grandmother's house in the middle of the night. And I, we were pushing my sister in my doll's pram. Um, so it, it, I think my father definitely led to problems where male communication and trust was concerned. Let me ask you a lighter question now. It's one I've asked a few people. What's your earliest television programme that you can remember watching? Oh, um, gosh. Do you know, to be honest with you, television was never an important issue in my life in childhood years. And I think the reason for that is that we didn't actually have a television until I was 12. Wow. My mother couldn't afford one. So we used to watch the odd program on television, but it would be at my grandmother's house or one of my auntie's houses because they had televisions. But my mother never was able to afford a television up to the uh, till I was 12. We just had a radio and we did interactive things together. What was the the first major event you can hap- uh, you can remember that happened in life in your childhood? In uh, do you mean in the in the world that yeah, uh, yeah. uh, affected me? Definitely without a shadow of a doubt. May seem silly to some, but when Elvis Presley died. Oh, right, okay. I will never forget the shock of that. I cried and cried and my friend Claire we we cried together. For days and days because Elvis had passed away. It wasn't the most major in my life, but I certainly remember when Frank Sinatra died. And um, because I'd been brought up with my mum loving Frank Sinatra, and that really hurt. And I just thought it was unfair. My dad didn't like him because he was a bit of a gangster fellow, wasn't he, at one yeah, point in yeah. life? How did you do when you left school? Did you get some good qualifications? Well, I did. I, I didn't get particular qualifications, but I got lots of good jobs, um, which nowadays I know you've got to have certificates and qualifications for. Uh, as I, when I left school, my very first job was at a post office, so just a little tiny post office. But I had to do, you know, the pensions and the reckoning up all the figures at the end of the day and how many postage stamps we'd sold, etc. So it was quite a responsible job. And it was very poorly paid. And then from then on, I just went on to do anything that I looked in the newspaper and I liked the look of. I would just go and have an interview and get the job I. But you said you, you aspired to be a, a nurse, didn't you? I, that's what I wanted to be at school. But once I had to leave school because mum needed me to work, I didn't go back to the idea of nursing. I just got on and started working and 
just kept going for something with a little bit more money for each job I moved to. Do you remember that first pay packet? Do you remember how much was Absolutely. in it? Absolutely. Yeah, I thought it wasn't quite seven pounds. That's quite a lot. It was then, yeah. Mm-hmm. But then I was doing a lot of hours. Yeah, I, I would imagine, yeah. My my father, I learned in the 1960s, uh, my father was discussing his wage, full-time man in the 1960s, and he looked at his wage, he said, £18, what am I going to do with this? And what was your first memory that you can recall of someone close to you passing to spirit? My first big experience of someone passing to spirit was granddad. When my granddad died, he was an ill man all of his life. He was a, he was a coal miner and he'd fought in the war previous to that. He only had part of a lung working. One of his lungs was, you know, was covered in coal dust, so it didn't work. So he had that pneumonicosis where he coughed and coughed all the time. And he was taken into hospital. And as far as we knew, he was coming home the following day and suddenly he collapsed in the hospital when they got him out of bed and his heart was giving in and and he died suddenly and I was only 13. And how did that hit you? Oh very hard, very very hard especially because at his funeral and just prior to his funeral my aunt's mother and his sister at the funeral said to me that the last thing my granddad asked for before he died was he wanted to talk to me. He said to my mother, go and get our Maureen. He said, I want to tell her something. But I never found out what it was he wanted to tell me. So I was at school and mum didn't come to get me. And did you understand the concept of death or did you just know that your granddad wasn't going to be around anymore? I think I was understanding the concept of death because each night when I got off the bus from school, the bus used to stop outside of the rest home, uh, the funeral home where my granddad's body was. Every night I got off the bus and went into the funeral home to see him. Mm -hmm. After about the third or fourth day, they knew exactly who I was. And as I walked in, they said, have you come to see your granddad? Yes. And I would just go and stand and look at him in his coffin. And he had a white shroud on and on his chest, I'll never forget it, he had a big picture that was on the robe he was wearing. And it was the sacred heart of Jesus. And it just said, uh, I put my trust in thee. And I always remember staring at that and wondering what it was he wanted to tell me. And this wasn't the first experience or your first experience with spirit because spirit came into your life a lot earlier. Absolutely. I think my earliest encounter with spirit was going back to the age of four. Because mum mum and dad only had two little girls, we always shared a room, my sister and I. In fact, we actually shared a double bed. So I knew she was two because she was still had a dummy and I used to wait for her to go to sleep and I could, you know, pinch the dummy and, and try to get off to sleep quickly because I knew night after night I would be woken by a lady standing at the side of my bed. She was never, her feet was never on the floor. She always was about two feet off the floor. And only a tiny little lady with a, a bun that came back at the back of her hair. But she always had a beautiful light around her. I always remember that. But she used to lean right over me in the bed. And it used to wake me up every night. And I would wake screaming and crying until my mother came in. But we did live in a very old, at the time, we were living in a very old mill house, which belonged to a mill that was at the bottom of the street 
in old times. I mean, it was so old. There was no electricity upstairs. You know, mummy used to take us to bed with a candle. And the downstairs was when the gas mantles used to come out, you know. Yeah, remember that. How did your mum treat you regarding you seeing things? Her mother, my grandmother, used to see spirits all the time. But you weren't allowed to talk to anyone about seeing that because people would think you were crazy, you know, and there was something wrong with you and they'd take you away or, you know. So we were never able to say anything like that. But grandma used to tell us ghost stories all the time about things that happened to her in Ireland and that happened to my aunts and my mother when they were younger and they lived in a haunted house at one point. So she used to frighten us to death. So really, I was a bit frightened of spirit at that stage. It wasn't something I was particularly interested in, but I had no choice. It came to me. And then uh, when we moved from that old house, when my parents broke up and we went to live with my grandmother and granddad, I used to, I never, ever slept on a pillow when I was little. I used to get into bed and slide down off the pillow so that the blankets were sort of up to there. Because every night I saw people walking around my bedroom. I thought they were burglars. I used that's what I that's what as a child of mine. And I thought if they didn't see me, then they wouldn't touch me, they wouldn't affect me. So if I hid under the blanket, then they wouldn't know I was there. I mean, the fact that there was nothing in the bedroom to take didn't register with me. I thought that's what I thought they were with burglars. Wow. We'll take a short break. Spirited Talk and the Podcast Playlist are free podcasts. If you would like to make a financial contribution to the project, please visit our patron page at spiritedtalkpodcast.com and Spirited Talk Podcast is all one word. Thank you. Hello, my name is Neil Bradley and I'm a spirit medium. If there's one thing I could say to someone who's wishing to explore the potential of being a medium, it's simply to just sit in the beautiful energy and allow the spirit world to give you wings. You're listening to the Spirited Talk Podcast. Subscribe now to be part of the growing community. Go on, your spirit knows it's right. And welcome back. Uh, Maureen, I'd come to a little bit of a strange thing that happens at this point when we come out of the break. Well, we used to call this the basket challenge, but um, since then we've employed a voiceover man who would like to ask you a question. And he's got 10 questions between 1 and 10, numbers 1 and 10. And I have to say they're not all spiritual, if any of them. Okay. Would you agree to answer a question that you give me a number and Arthur will read that question out and you must be honest with your answer? Okay, I'll go with number three. Number three. Here we go. Arthur, it's over to you. Here is your chosen question. Question three. When it comes to presents, how organized are you at Christmas time? Actually, I'm very organized. I love presents. I love buying presents. I love wrapping presents. I love giving presents. So I am extremely organized. Birthdays, anniversaries, Christmases. I never forget a card. My husband had never a clue when anything was, but I'm very organized. So you've already started getting presents. We're talking, we're recording this, by the way, in October. Oh, yes. 
So, so yes, you've already started. Well, there we yeah. go. Look at that. I, do you know, I've got a confession. I might as well say, about a month ago, I got my first present for Jane. It was because it was in an Amazon sale. And I thought, oh, I'll buy that. Now, it's one of those things that I think I've bought for myself, and I'm hoping she'll like it. If she doesn't, I end up with it, sort of thing. One of those. So, yeah. That's... <laughs> so it won't be wasted. No, no, no. It never is. We want to go back to your spiritual life, uh, Maureen. Could we go back to the time where you started going to circles? How did that come about and leading up to your public work? Well, so many things happened in my childhood years that I was nervous of it, especially when I discovered I was also clairaudient. I only knew that once I got into spiritualism that I was clairaudient, but I used to also hear voices when I was a child. So I stayed kind of a little bit away from it not knowing what it was or how dangerous it was. And remembering my grandmother's words, you know, you don't call up the dead. And in uh, my 20s, my uncle, my mother's youngest brother, passed away. Well, first of all, we knew he had cancer. And they said he had only six months to live. And strangely enough, I got closer to him in those six years than I ever did my whole life. And I was, I went to visit him in Wolverhampton quite a few times, taking my mother before he finally died and passed away. Once he passed away, I went to see him um, in his coffin and I just looked at him and thought, you're not here. It was like looking at an empty envelope and someone had taken the letter out. And I thought to myself, that's it. I'm going to go to one of these spiritualist churches and um, and see what it's all about. And I started to go to Bourne Spiritualist Church because at that time I lived in Bourne. Um, and for the few years I'd been there, I kept seeing this sign that said Spiritualist Church, point this way, but I had never dared to go there. So I went to the Spiritualist Church. And as you do the first time, you sit at the back, don't you always on the back row by yourself? And of course... Uh, the medium immediately came to me and said, um, do you realize the spirit world had been waiting for you to get here? Oh, really? Wow. And I sat, I sat here on the back row going, no. <laughs> um, but then I, I, I enjoyed it. She told me a few things about my mother-in-law. I went home and told my husband and we decided we'd go back the following Saturday. Then on the, I'd only been going there about three months. My uncle died in the January, 24th of January, and this would be about May, April, May, June time. And I'd taken my mother down to the cemetery to look at his grave and put flowers there. Now, when my uncle was ill, very ill, and I used to talk to him and show him photographs of my house and my garden and I used to say, when you're feeling well, I said, I'll come down with my car and collect you. I said, then I'll take you home to my house and we'll sit in the garden uh, and have some tea and cake. And, oh, and he said, I would love that. I would love to come and see your garden. But of course, he didn't get well and he died. So that morning we went to the cemetery. I went in my garden and I never verbally said anything to anyone. Just in my head, I thought it. I looked around my garden and I said uh, to myself, well, Uncle Sam, you never did get to come to my garden, so I'm going to take my garden to you. And I collected a whole bouquet of flowers and made a big flower arrangement, and we took it down and put it on his grave. 
Now, when I went to Bourne Spiritual Church on this particular night, we went because we were told this male medium, he was from the north of England somewhere. I forget his name. They said he was good. So we decided we would go. And he came to me and said, uh, he said, I've got a gentleman here. He says he's very tall and he's very thin because he lost so much weight uh, before he died. He said his name's Sam. I said, yes, that's right. He said he had cancer. I said, yes, he did. Um, and he went on to tell me a few things about my life and about my uncle. And then he said, no, he's got a message for you here. He said, and it doesn't make any sense to me. He said, but I'm going to tell it to you anyway. He said, he wants me to say, thank you for taking your garden to him. And when he said that, I just, the shock hit me and I thought, oh my God, no one else knew that but me. So he obviously heard my thought. And it was that one message that gave me the courage to join the church's um, open circle group and then the president invited me to her private group wow it's it's just that thing that uh, we go on about all the time um evidence of the continuation of life and when the evidence is good it will affect somebody's life absolutely change my life completely yeah absolutely if that had been a wishy-washy if it had missed the point or you may not have been doing what you're doing on your path i would say that one message was the was the catalyst that put me on the path of mediumship? Oh, wow. So you, you're the um, president, did you say, or the chairman invited you? The president, and it was Olga Mays. Um, if you, when you're at the college, if you ever go into the um, museum upstairs, yeah, um, there's a picture of her husband Harold Mays is in the museum because they had a lot to do with the SNU and Gordon Higginson and there at that time. And they were the founders of Bourne Spiritualist Church. And this is born in Hertfordshire, by the way? No, born in Lincolnshire. Oh, Lincolnshire. Yeah, okay. And uh, so um, it was from, I, I went to her circle and it was from her circle that I started to develop and eventually started to take church services. And then from there, it led to the college. How long did you sit in the circle before your leader made you do any work? Wait, she used to just run a circle where we all sat together. I think there was about six of us. And she would put music on and we go into a meditation, try to go as deep as we could and then say what we've got, come back and say what we've got. And the very first message I ever got in that circle was everybody was saying, I think I saw a lady, I think I saw your grandmother and stuff like that. But I didn't see anything, only a huge Doberman dog. And it was, I could see it near a woman who was opposite me in the circle. And I said, I don't think I'm doing this right. I said, because I didn't see any person. I said, I just saw a big Doberman dog sitting near that lady's feet. And she burst into tears. She said, I only lost my Doberman last week. Oh. Um, so, and, and I sat in Olga's circle for five years before I would get on the platform. She kept wanting me to get up on the platform, but I wouldn't. I kept saying, no, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. But I did eventually get on the platform. Was it a good night? It was. It was. I was thrown in at the deep end because the medium had cancelled on the last minute. So I had to do the whole service, the philosophy, the service, everything. But then that was it. I was bitten. And, um, and yet I should have known... But, you know, when I was only seven, when I got my first message from Spirit Claire Audiently, I was sitting by my mother's wall in Kingsley Street and by the house. 
didn't was obviously it was something that meant anything spiritual. I was looking through a gap in the fence because the lady next door, Mrs. Barton, had a huge cluster of beautiful blue irises in her garden. And some of them were poking through the hole in the fence. And I was looking at the deep blue of these irises and thinking, oh, I wish they grew in our garden. They're so beautiful. And then suddenly from my left-hand side, which is where I always hear clairaudently, always the same side, I heard a man's voice, clear and loud, say to me, one day you will move away from here. You will move quite a long way away from here, but you will you will be a teacher and you will work at a big house. Mm. And of course, the college is a big house. Yes. Well, tell us about that college. How did you first hear about AFC, the Arthur Finley College or the Spiritualist National Union? And how did it then come into your life? Well, Olga obviously introduced it to me uh, because her husband, Harold, had been the treasurer at one point, I think, of the SNU. And at that time, I was then the booking secretary of the church. So uh, we, I, I found these leaflets on the open week that they did. And I said to Olga, um, I'm going to organise a coach trip to go one day on open. We can take church members if they want to come. And I fill that coach immediately. So we went on open on a day on open week for the first time. And I took the whole group from the church with me. And we absolutely loved it because I'd read a lot of Arthur Finley's books by then. Yeah. And of course, I walked into that college. And as soon as I walked into reception, the feeling was just like I had come home. Do you remember any of the big names that were at the college? I mean, was Big G there at that time? Gordon was there. I was lucky enough to get the first two years of going there as a student with Gordon there. Mavis Patilla was one of my teachers. Albert Best was there. Glyn Edwards, sorry. Glyn Edwards was a great inspiration for me. I could have listened to Glyn Edwards' uh, lectures all day long. Um, so lots of them. It's quite interesting. I've spoken to quite a lot of well-known mediums such as yourself and Glyn Edwards' name is forever popping up. Uh, yeah. and, and I'm lucky through my uh, mentor teacher at the time, Mark Stone, I got to meet Glyn. He got to come to Mark's private groups and I got to have him within, in a group of, say, 10 or 15 people, as well as at the college. He was an extraordinary man. Absolutely. Uh, and he touched in such an amazing way. And I know I've said the quote before, but I, I do recall the time when I stood next to him giving readings to a group and he put his hand up on my shoulder and he says, young man, you have such wonderful potential, which went to my head until years later when I remembered, actually, everybody's got potential. It's what you do with it that matters. And it was he that Absolutely. said that. But, oh, it's lovely to hear Glyn mentioned. So that that's he was He was very he was very kind. He was very supportive for me, very inspirational for me. He helped me a lot when I first started to go through the tutor training. Did you mention Albert Best in the middle of all that? Yes. Albert Best used to go to the college as well there. As a teacher? Yes, he did go as a teacher. Wow. That's amazing because uh, he was at the time surely one of the best. He wasn't, didn't he have a reputation, am I right or wrong, for his trance work, his physical work? Yeah, for everything. I think he, everything Albert did was amazing. He was an amazing 
uh, gentleman. I mean, he was getting older in years when I knew him, mm. but still an amazing gentleman, as was Gordon. I mean, we were, we were all struck with Gordon, but Glyn was the inspiration. He was the motivator behind you wanting to learn and and we learned through lectures because then days we just had lecture after lecture after lecture there wasn't really groups it was just lectures but we learned about the background of spiritualism and mediumship yeah when i first met glenn which is 10 15 years ago at least i remember buying a book of glenn's at the time and I remember reading it thinking, this means nothing to me. I, I, you know, it was going straight above me. A few weeks ago, though, I, I I have a pile of books in my in the house, and I go through those books in order. And there is about six books in there. Anyway, I came back up. With, uh, Glynn's was back in for recycling. I needed to listen to it again or hear it again. Oh, sorry, read it again. And I took it as my bedtime read. So before I go to sleep, little light under the sheet. And I still do that, believe it or not, and read book. And I read, uh, it's the yellow covered book and I can't remember what it's called, but the last two chapters that I read this time around blew my mind. And I now refuse to bring that book in here and put in the bookshelf because I need to take those notes out of there. I need to put them somewhere in my eye line. Absolutely incredible what he said. So and I'll think of the book and put it in the notes to this somewhere. Um, but yeah, remarkable man. So when did you choose yourself? Uh, think I want to teach. I want to learn and become a tutor myself. I didn't actually. I used to teach at the church. I used to run groups and workshops at the church uh, and teach them what I'd learned as a student at the college. And then they were doing. There was one week where it was called Willing to Work. They needed students to go on this course to help the tutors who were training to be future tutors. So my husband and I went along on one. And one of the ladies who was being assessed that week uh, said to me, she, she said, I am doing, I uh, should I have to do a workshop tonight on colour? She said, and I know you're really into colour, Maureen. She said, would you come in? She said, and I'll get you up to do an orograph on the board and then you can describe it. And then, you know, I can use that as part of my my teaching group. So I said, yeah, that's no problem at all. And sitting at the very back was Vi Kipling and Nora Shaw. They were our senior tutors then and they were assessing her. So she got me up and I did the orograph and I, I, I found the recipient and gave the man the information, which she was very pleased with. And then as I was walking, we were all filing out at the end. And as I was walking out, Vi Kipling shouted to me, she said, Maureen, come here. So I went, she said, have you applied to become a trainee tutor here at the college? I said, no, I haven't. She said, there's a form. She said, fill it in and let me have it back this weekend. And that's how it happened. Wow. And and you love teaching there, don't you? I absolutely adore teaching there. I mentioned um, a, a lady earlier on that I think you're fairly well friendly with, aren't you, um, Lynn? Lynn Cottrell, yes. Yeah. Okay. I, I don't know why I brought that in there, but it's just... Uh, well, we work a lot together because, you know, we work together. She does the psychic art and I do the mediumship. We do quite a lot of things together. Mm. I used to also work with John Brett, the psychic artist, a lot as well. I like working with psychic artists. 
Maureen, in the research, I learned that you discovered a love for colour and colour therapy, and you mentioned you've got qualifications on that. Could you spend a few minutes and tell us about this colour and colour therapy? Yes. Well, my interest actually started, Trevor, when I would spontaneously be looking at a person and I would see flashes of colour around them. So I got to learn more about the auric energy field, and that fascinated me more. That just sparked my interest. If this color is coming and it's and it's related to how we're feeling, what we're doing, what we're thinking, where we are in our lives, then how does it affect us health-wise? So I started to take a study of color therapy with the British School of Yoga first, and I got a nice basic background of color therapy and how you know, it goes right back to ancient Egyptian times. They were the first color therapists. They understood this beautiful vibrational energy. And of course, we are vibrational beings. So color as a vibration has a big effect on our physical, mental, emotional, spiritual well-being without a shadow of a doubt. The more you learn about color and it's endless, the more you begin to appreciate it the more you notice it, you know, not just in the world around you, but in your home and uh, when people you meet, because about the colours a person chooses does often say an awful lot about them, you know, and uh, that makes it makes total sense. If the auric energy is uh, full of colour, then uh, that's you know it's it's a very important part of our development in in this this life because it affects us on so many different levels and of course we know there is color in the spirit world because they often talk about the clarity of the vibration of color in the spirit world and colors that we can't see or know absolutely and and what's fascinating is it isn't just a visual experience color because Every I, I always say when I'm working with students, music is the language of sound. Color is the language of light. So if we learn to interpret the language of color, then we can find out how color can work for us, how we can use it to a greater advantage, how we can heal ourselves, because all of our bodily organs are resonating and vibrating to their own um, sound and quality and colour. And, and disease often comes when that imbalance goes out. When And we, we, with colour therapy, we work on being able to, it's non-intrusive uh, vibration. We work on rebalancing that colour energy to put you back into symphony, like an orchestra within your body. On this subject of auric colours, the auric field that's around me, you and everybody, does that work over the Zoom conferencing that we're using right now? Are you able to see auric fields? You can see auric fields, yes. I've done it by Skype and that you can see auric energy fields. But you've got to remember that it's a vibration. It isn't just, like I said, a visual thing. It's a vibrational energy. And so it doesn't. it's not restricted by linear time, space, distance or anything else. That is why in absent healing, we can send colour 
to people. I was just looking at you on the Zoom screen that we've got right now, and I was thinking the problem is with the energy that you're emanating now or the colours that you're emanating now, they have to go through the technical frequencies before they are modulated and demodulated back onto my screen could be quite inaccurate. Uh, For example, I was looking over to what would be your left side, and I thought I'd seen a lot of yellow. Well, that, that would make perfect sense, though, because yellow is very connected with the mental energy. And what we're doing now is we're talking and we're using mental energy. So that would be very appropriate that you can see. And to see it up this side means you are seeing it within the mental energy field. The second question on this, if you don't mind me asking, the energy colours that we have around our body, you say, um, shows us what's going on in the body. Should we be healing that auric field or healing the body? That is a very good question. And it's something I do work with my students if I'm using colour in a group or a workshop. Because I also read a study of Dr. Alexander Cannon, and he stated that he used hypnotized clairvoyance to study the human aura. And he said the human aura is not only full of color, but it's also, we've got hundreds and hundreds of thread-like lines of energy running through the auric field. And when illness or disease is imminent, these energy lines become broken or blocked or distorted. Now, if that is a fact, if that is true, then surely as healers, it's beneficial for us to start healing in the auric energy field before it has a chance to affect the human body, particularly in things like cancer. You know, And if you've ever read the book, The Boy Who Saw True, that was written about a man who in his young years, he saw colour around everyone and he thought it was natural and normal. But in the colour, uh, on one particular occasion, he was frightened because he thought it was a monster that was sitting on his mother's friend's shoulder. Now, that lady died some months later of cancer. Now, would a child's mind see a growth or a cancerous condition, cancerous cell, as something horrible or frightening. So and I I'm I'm amazed there's not a lot more work done in the auric field, you know, to prevent as a preventative. Okay, I'll tell you something that I said to a guest a few weeks ago. When I heal my partner who's got rheumatoid arthritis and at the moment is suffering really bad, cannot barely walk, to be honest. And I spend many nights just sitting trying to heal her as she falls asleep and some maybe 12 months ago or so I felt that my spirit team those that work with me during the healing again that's you know subjective some people would say nonsense but I felt that there was a requirement for me to channel a colour on specific yes. occasions. And most nights I would, uh, and still do, I would sit with Jane, get into the zone, get into the power, and about six to eight inches above the area, start to focus. And then I would ask the spirit, what do you want tonight? And they would tell me a colour, blue, green, yellow, orange even. And I would then stream that in or focus on if it was orange, I'd just see an orange and stare at it and make sure that the energy that went in the body was of that colour. Now, I believed, because it was my spirit team that were influencing me, 
that that was the colour that was required within the body. Therefore, I was to become a channel. I mean, it isn't a modern day thing. It's ancient colour therapy. And the ancient Egyptians used it literally, as did many other tribal people, use it quite literally and extensively. It's becoming very much more popular again today. No, it makes perfect sense to me. To If you're healing someone and you're inspired to send a colour, follow that, that there's something within the vibrational energy field of that particular colour or shade of colour that that person needs that's going to help. And anything that helps to me is got to be worthwhile. I also know a lot of the SNU healers who also, when they're healing, see or feel or scent colour. You know, uh, I think it's a natural thing to do because it's an exchange of energies and colour is an energy. There has been occasions where before Jane's fallen asleep and, and I'm focusing on the colour, she'll just in her dozy way, she'll go, are you doing blue? And it's right. And mm. I go, yes, that's the colour for tonight. So there's enough of her attuned to be able to sense an energy, uh, a, a colour. Absolutely. Absolutely. Maureen, I'm, I'm truly fascinated by colour in itself. I think it's an entire subject. It is. It's amazing. It, colour is a medium in itself. And that is why it can also be used for communication purposes. Well, that's interesting because one of the questions here, Maureen, it says, do you think there's an underestimation of the powers of colour in the work that we do and life generally? There is in some areas. Yes, definitely. But then again, not everyone is interested in in the colour, I am. I'm interested in all the knock-on things. For me, mediumship is like a huge web. There are so many strands connected to it. And the more we understand about as many of these threads of energy that we can, then the greater understanding we're going to have about how our mediumistic energy and potentials are running. So it means that there's another strand, as you, as you mentioned, I think that was a word you used, that the spirit world can use to get information oh. to you. So it's, Absolutely. it's not that you need to be using colour, but if you are, it's another facility or faculty that they can use. It's another tool in the mediumistic toolbox. I like that. I really, I am excited by that. That is the end of this first episode. We'll be back tomorrow with a little bit more. Okay. See you tomorrow, Trevor. Thank you. Bye-bye. And that brings another episode of Spirited Talk to a close. A reminder that there are many ways you can support these podcasts into the future. Start right now by subscribing to this podcast on whatever platform you're listening to it on right now. You are also welcome to join our Facebook podcast community group where hundreds of listeners and the guests come together to be part of Spirited Talk. If you'd like to contribute financially from as little as £5 per month, you can become a partner and access exclusive content and know that you're helping to keep this valuable information source going into the future. You can find out more about this and much more on our website at spiritedtalkpodcast.com. A huge thank you to my partners and to my guests today. From me, Trevor, thank you again and goodbye.